Uh, we've been doing this um, little mini-series in between um, preaching through the Gospel of Matthew. Um, for those of you that have been coming regularly, you'll know that we, we want to take a long time sort of just systematically preaching through the Word of God. And we, we went through Acts. We took big chunks of Acts. And then we're going to be sort of trawling through Matthew bit by bit. And we're coming up to points and we're going to be looking at the Beatitudes and stuff. But a big thing for Dan and I, as we were praying through the future of the church and our lives together, was it was sort of this whole sense of what it means to encounter God and be in the fullness of the presence of his spirit. So we thought we'd do this sort of mini-series uh, called Encounter, um, uh, sort of God in us, God with us, and then God through us, which, which is the last week today. And I spoke last week, I feel like doing a Bible quiz now, but if you were here last week, you of course remember what I spoke on. Um, sometimes I wonder about preaching. I think you yeah, sort of preach for 40 minutes and people remember 20 seconds of what you said. But is that, and you think, is it? That's because it was the only bit that the Lord thought was worthy of everyone remembering 20 seconds. But anyway, I spoke on three things resisting the Spirit, quenching the Spirit, and thank you, grieving the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Neville, from Ephesians 4 20. And I talked about the, the three different ways that you can do that. So the quenching the Spirit came from. 1 Thessalonians 5, something or other, where um, uh, if you hold prophecy, for instance, in contempt, like you look at the work of God, the power of, of, of God's work, the, the way the Holy Spirit moves, and you, and you hold it in disdain, that quenches the Holy Spirit, displeases the Lord. Or resisting the Holy Spirit, and I said how that mostly applied to people who weren't believers, and you saw that when, when Stephen preached in Acts he said, you stiff-necked people, you're hearing the word of God, but you're resisting God's spirit. And when Paul the Apostle in Acts 20-something, 20 22 I think, was, was speaking to <laughs> Felix uh, when he was under arrest and he preached the gospel. It's very interesting, he said he preached the gospel of, um, you know, about the cross and self-control and righteousness. It's a really interesting way to preach the gospel, talking about self-control and righteousness as well. Um, he said that Felix resisted resisted the word of God and how as people who don't follow Jesus, you can hear the gospel. This is what I did. You hear the gospel and you think, ah, it's good for them, not for me. And you just resist what God's doing, even though you know in your heart, you know in your heart that God's calling you. You get that heart-thumping moment when you hear people talking about the Lord and you resist him. And I did that. And you meet many people who do that. But also, there's sort of a warning in there for those of us who know Jesus how you can resist going further in the Lord through fear or other things or just like suspicion. And actually you know that God's at work, but you resist him. And, and churches very commonly do that. And now we're building up to this thing, which is God through us. Just pondering on this. I sort of, um, you know, working life is busy, isn't it? So um, I sort of know what I'm going to be speaking on and while I'm driving about or dealing with stuff at work it's sort of I have this subroutine going on in my head you know just trying to think through what I'm going to preach so often a lot of it's just sort of mentally forming and so I then manage to find a bit of time early in the morning to bosh it down on a bit of paper and then leave it at work <laughs> which is another beautiful thing that happened to me and then having to do it again on Saturday but anyway um, you're sort of mulling it over and I'm just sort of thinking is that it just—it's a fascinating thing for me. After 20 years of preaching the gospel and trying to develop resources, how some things grab the attention of heaven, and some things don't. 
It's like some things get God's attention and loads of things don't. And it's weird to me, some of the things that get the attention of heaven. Like, I'm wondering how much of this needs to now go on mute on the video thing. But like, for instance, like some Bible study notes are brilliant and don't get massive attention. And some are average and get loads of attention. And it's a really weird thing. Like, for instance, um, like um, Every Day with Jesus or UCB Bible study notes. They're not the best notes I've ever read. I'm being honest. They're really good, but they're not the best notes I've ever read. Like the UCB ones. They're really good, and I recommend them. You get them for free. And I thought, that's the thing. I mean, when you look at the way they're laid out, it's a bit old-fashioned. I mean, they're not the most all-singing or dancing Bible study notes. But in 2009, they gave away three and a half million for free. They just put three and a half million for free. And the Lord keeps pouring money into UCB and resource. And they just keep growing. I thought it's a fascinating thing. That is really fascinating. Now I'm gonna I'm gonna really get in trouble now. Like Billy Graham, what an amazing evangelist. It's like led millions of people to the Lord. I mean, millions. My chairman at CVM, Christian Vision for Memory, used to be there, came to the Lord through Billy Graham. I think I think Karen was saved already and went to a Billy Graham thing and, and wanted to get saved again at the end. Like it's a weird thing. Like he preached, you just want to go forward and give your life to Jesus every time he speaks. But to be honest with you, he ain't the best preacher. He's not. I mean, sometimes it goes on a little bit. Well, I, I've watched him. I mean, I analyze preaching and I, and I tune in and out. And then he gets the end bit and I just want to get saved again. He, got, he gets the attention of heaven. Purpose-driven church. I mean, actually, that's quite good. But anyway... He wrote that, what's his face, Rick Warren, wrote Purpose Driven Church when he was like a church planter on an average to low salary. And he had decided to give something like, he said, oh, 10% of my salary is not enough, so we try and give 20% away. And, like, and learned to enjoy giving 20% away. Then he thought, I'll give 30% away, then I'll give half my salary away. And he was just on a church planter's salary. And the church started getting blessed. And then he wrote this book, and it just went crazy. And like millions of dollars started pouring into his personal bank account. So he thought, oh, I'll pay all the money back that I ever got paid and I'll reverse tithe. I'll give away 90% and keep 10%. And he got the attention of heaven. I mean, actually, that, that is quite a good book and a purpose-driven life. But he got the attention of heaven. That's what I started to think. Some things get the attention of heaven. What is it? It's the heart behind it. It's, it's the man or, or the organization. It's just so deeply rooted in the Lord. Just love the Lord. Love his word. Just seeking him in prayer. Like in the secret places. And God sees it. He sees it. That's a real challenge to me. I, I mean, I've, I've had about 12 books published. And you probably didn't know that because I hadn't had the attention to heaven yet. I mean, some of them have done all right. <laughs> some of them have done all right. But not like that. And I thought, I, coming up to preach on this today, 
I, I want this church to have the attention of heaven like on our lives. I, 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 want, I want God to notice. Not so it's like a laugh, but because thousands of people might get saved then. Like exciting things might happen around us. Like the poor might get blessed like amazingly. We might be able to fund stuff in the poor areas around Derbyshire that no one's been able to fund before. Imagine you had a church that could pump a hundred grand into an estate and plant a church every year. Imagine a church where we were just struggling in a 20,000 square foot warehouse because people just get saved all the time. I want, I want to be involved in something that gets the attention of heaven. So I started looking uh, uh, in the midst of my week and in like the subroutine that goes on during the week, the sort of stuff that's getting heaven's attention. And I looked at it in the scriptures, you know, and I went to some really familiar places. And then the Lord took me to some stranger places. But one of the familiar places, like in Acts 2, which we preached through at the start of this church on purpose, obviously, when, when, when the Holy Spirit came suddenly next to the sound of a, a blowing violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting and they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them and all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled. And then there's this big gathering and they didn't keep it to themselves. They didn't keep the blessing to themselves. They put their lives on the line straight away. So in Acts 2, straight away, Peter stands up and he preaches. And then straight away, Acts 2.42, they start sharing their possessions and their stuff. And it says that everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. And all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to anyone and gave to anyone who had need. And they met together every day in the temple courts and they... And they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts and kept praising the Lord. And God saw it. He saw the radical generosity. He saw the poor being blessed. He saw their hearts and the way they didn't keep the blessing to themselves. So he kept adding daily to their number of people who had been saved. And then they didn't get cozy and comfortable with it because people started getting martyred. Like it wasn't easy. Everyone thinks, oh, let's have a... Let's have a New Testament church like Acts. Well, prepare to be martyred then and, and give your house away, you know. That's actually what's happening. And in Acts 5, it starts happening again. And, you know, people just start sharing their stuff and giving things away. And off the back of that, more persecution comes. And I'm just flowing through and flowing through. And that's what you see. Radical devotion to the Word of God. Radical devotion to each other. And he got the attention of heaven. And I started looking back in the Old Testament, trying to find other examples of where things got the attention of heaven. And I went back to more familiar passages, which I quoted before. It's like the Lord was just shining a spotlight on some of these things to me. And Daniel, when, when Daniel had the vision of the Lord, is the context. At that time, I, Daniel, it's Daniel 10, mourned for three weeks. I ate no choice food, no meat or wine touched my lips, and I used no lotions at all until the three weeks were over. And on the 24th day of the first month that I was standing on the bank of the great river, the Tigris, I looked up and there before me was a man dressed in linen with a belt of fine gold from Upfaz around his waist. His body was like topaz, his face like lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and his voice 
was like the sound of a multitude. I, Daniel, was the only one who saw it, saw the vision, and those who were with me didn't. But such terror overwhelmed them that they fled and hid themselves. So people were aware that something was happening, but they didn't see the vision. So I was left alone, gazing at this great vision. I had no strength left. My face turned deathly pale, and I was helpless. Then I heard him speaking. And as I listened to him, I fell into a deep sleep, my face to the ground. I'm going to talk about that a little bit later. A hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. He said, Daniel, you who are highly esteemed, consider carefully the words I'm about to speak to you. And it goes on, verse 12. Don't be afraid, Daniel. Since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourselves before your God, your words were heard and I've come in response to them. But the prince of the Persian kingdom resisted me 21 days. Then Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me. So I was detained there with the king of Persia. That's a spiritual battle taking place. It's weird and brilliant at the same time. So Daniel starts praying and the Lord hears him. And he, and he wants to come to him. But he's been resisted by a spiritual demonic power over Persia. So he says, well, the Archangel Michael, that's, like, that's Michael. The Archangel Michael came to help me. And basically we had a punch up in the heavenly places. And now I'm here. What do you want? Which is brilliant. But it's interesting too. I heard you, Daniel. I heard you when you started praying. I heard you. Got the attention of heaven. That's the point today. He set himself to pray. And he fasted. And he got the attention of heaven. Longest fast I ever did was 21 days. I think I might have told you before. But I'll tell you again, because it's a wonderful thing. I fasted for 21 days. I didn't set out to do that. I was planning on just dinner. But I felt the Lord tell me to fast. And I said, I'll fast until you tell me to stop. And it ended up being 21 days. Uh, I woke up on the 21st day and felt the Lord give me permission to eat, which is wonderful. But I was so fed up with not eating, I didn't want to eat out of sulking. But the Lord was with me. And I felt the Lord was with me in the most amazing way. Cheese sandwich did taste amazing, mind you. And I fantasized about KFC from about day 12, really badly. But anyway... 21st day was the 40th anniversary service of our church. We had seen explosive growth. It was on that morning, one of my dearest friends admitted to committing adultery uh, with a daughter of one of our deacons who performed the wedding for six months earlier. And it nearly blew a hole in the side of a church where the Lord had been doing amazing things. But I'd set my heart to pray before the Lord. And I did that for 21 days. And the Lord was with us. The church got the attention of heaven in that time. We saw people deepening their love for the Lord during that time too. And even in the aftermath, we saw people growing in their deepening of their love for the Lord. We saw people worshipping in a new way. And even in that time, when a hole should have been blown in the side of the church, people were getting saved. And even that morning, people got saved. I'm not saying it's because I fasted 21 days. So I was kind of not telling anyone about it really, just obviously Karen. But I just wanted to get on it. just wanted to seek the Lord. And it got the attention of heaven. I used to be uh, what they call a cessationist. I didn't believe that God could move by the power of his Holy Spirit, so it might have helped some of you to know that. They call it a cessationist. I didn't believe that God could move in power. I didn't believe in dreams and visions and prophecies and the gift of tongues. I thought it was straight out of the pit of hell. I did. But I started reading my Bible, and I saw that stuff was happening in the Bible, and I wanted it. It's through reading the Bible... I became a charismatic because I was, I was seeing it in the Bible and I couldn't work out where it stopped. 
People said it stopped or I couldn't see it. I thought you have to do a bit of gymnastics to make that happen. So I pursued God. And we were at spring harvest. And if you'd indulge me in, in letting me tell you this story. We were at spring harvest, which I didn't really like because it was during the Toronto time. And everyone was, everyone was being weird. The Toronto blessing, for those of you who don't know, is a, where people experience this overwhelming experience of God blessing them. And people would roll around and make weird noises. I didn't like it. I thought it was a bit off, to be honest with you. But I needed to submit myself before the Lord because I've been seeking him in his word. And I wanted to feel the power of the Holy Spirit in my life. Even though I didn't like what I was seeing around me, I, I wanted to experience God. And Karen and I went forward for prayer. And the person who prayed for us kept trying to push me over. He was pushing my head. So I was, I was pushing him back. Well, I'm not a small fellow, am I? So I was like this. I was pushing him back. I got the right ump. And, and, and I, I thought he's going to be, they're going to be doing this to Karen as well. So I'm like, I've got my arm around Karen. thought, you're not pushing my wife over. Deck you. So I, I, that's the frame of mind I was in. Seeking the Lord, but a bit angry. Don't, don't push my wife over. Or I'll have you. I'm from Romford. And when we opened our eyes and we looked around us, everyone was littered around on the floor. It was like a war scene. Like everyone had been gunned down. And me and Karen were just standing there. And a bloke who'd been praying for us just walked off. But what a nightmare. I mean, seriously, it was a nightmare. And it made Karen cry. She was so hurt by it, she just cried. So I went back to my room. It was a budget accommodation room in Minehead back in the early 90s, which is like something between Colditz and Alcatraz. And, and literally, I mean, had grey rough sheets. And a toilet had a groove in it where it had been so used and not repaired. It was a terrible thing. And I, and I, I sat on the edge of my cold, it's Alcatraz cell, in the cold, in Butlins, in Minehead. I sat on the edge of my bed and I pleaded to the Lord. I pleaded. Because I wanted to experience him. And I didn't want this nightmare to put me off. I want the Lord in my life. So I was reading the Bible, I was seeking him. So I want your power. Like if this is if this is evil, you need to show me, but I want you in my life because the reason, and this is what got the attention of heaven. I want me mates to get saved. I want to see thousands of people get saved from my ministry. I wasn't even in ministry, I was in the bank. I was a banker. I want to see thousands of people get saved. That was, it was a genuine heart cry. Didn't care if I was in a stadium. Didn't care if I was in the background, didn't care if I was a postman. I wanted to see thousands of people get saved through my life. And I poured my heart out to the Lord from searching the scriptures. And I felt the presence of God come into that room like you'd never believe. I felt myself on my knees praying. Then I realized I was praying in tongues. And I realized that two hours had gone past. The presence of the Lord visited a budget accommodation room in Butlins in Minehead. That's a miracle that the Lord would go to a place like that. Being moved in power upon my life. Something happened that got the attention of heaven. And I think as a church, we've got to seek what that is. And that's why we majored last week on not grieving the Spirit and leading holy lives before Him in the small things. You know, people say, don't sweat the small stuff. That's wrong for a Christian. Sweat the small stuff when it comes to holiness. Get concerned about the small areas and patch them up. 
lying, cheating, stealing, bitching, gossiping, being right with your money. If you get the small stuff, sweet, God bless you in the big stuff. It's so important we don't grieve the spirit. And there's other things. I want to, I want to read you this blog. We, we, we've got these people we're, we're mentoring in, in leadership, uh, Dan and I, uh, just a small little group. And um, I, I was sort of moderately dying of man flu, but dragged myself out to the pub. What a sacrifice uh, for a swift pint or two. And I, and, I, and I brought this blog that was written by a man called R.T. Kendall, who's a phenomenal Bible teacher. And I really recommend that you get on this blog site and you read this blog that was written on the 30th of December. And for those blokes that were there with me and you've had it read to you, just going to have to suffer it again because I think it's really important. I'm not going to read it all, but I'd like you to indulge me in this as well because I just think it's so important for us going into this next season over the next four years where we want to see the Lord bless people. He starts off by saying, this is the most important blog I've written in many years. I pray with all my heart that this will be read and spread to ordinary Christians all over the world. I can't come close enough in emphasizing how important this particular blog is. To put it in context, I think he's about 80 now, Artie Kendall. He's been faithfully preaching the word for over 60 years. And the bloke's a genius. And he loves the Lord and he's a humble man. Uh, I, I, and he just writes brilliantly. And you, you know it's an authentic thing. When he writes something, he, he would have got this from the Lord. A melancholy fact, most Christians don't have a Bible reading plan. Most Christians don't read their Bibles regularly. Some Christians don't read their Bibles very much at all. And some church leaders don't read their Bibles. I happen to know more than I care to reveal how many famous Christians and leaders have not read the Bible through at all. I'm not, I'm not having a go at anyone here. I'm just reading this blog, right? I'm not having a go. I just think it's really important for, for all of us. Mrs. Martin Lloyd-Jones. Uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones was an amazing preacher who could preach on one word for about a month. Uh, you'll be grateful we don't do that here. Made a gripping observation, but it was amazing. About C.S. Lewis' book, Screwtape Letters, a brilliant satire that includes, among other things, how the devil tempts new Christians. She lamented that one huge thing Lewis left out that should have been put in was how the devil wants to keep people from reading their Bibles. I do agree. It would have been so helpful that Lewis put that in. I am convinced that the devil will do anything to keep people from reading their Bibles. I'll miss a bit out because of time. Whereas, um, uh, let me take it from here. Uh, listen to me, dear reader. Once we give up the conviction that the Bible is the only infallible word of God, we open ourselves up to a strange world out there that may include the Holy Spirit, but also, if not equally, the realm of the demonic. Don't be surprised. Satan masquerades as an angel of light, 2 Corinthians 11, 14. The devil will work overtime to keeping Christians from reading the Bible. He would love you to close it and just wait on God. Whereas the Bible is not given to replace the miraculous or even revelation, as Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones used to say, but to correct abuses. Too many people don't know their Bibles well enough to know what the Word of God says and what the abuses might be. The Bible is the final and ultimate revelation of truth. No vision, word of knowledge or insight will ever, ever contradict what the Bible has said. The first test of any vision or prophetic word is to run it by scripture. If it's not upheld by the infallible word of God, reject it, no matter how much you may respect the person who gives you a word. I'm grateful in particular for two things in my life. First, my parents taught me to read my Bible daily, and this is what they did. The thought of not reading at least a chapter a day in the Bible was out of the question. Second, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, my chief mentor, introduced me to Robert Murray Machane's Bible reading plan many years ago. As a consequence, I think I can say I've read the entire Bible through some 40 times 
and the New Testament 80 times. A Bible reading plan keeps you in the Word, Dr. Lloyd-Jones used to say to me. Many preachers only consult their Bibles and they need a sermon. I persuaded a very close friend, a high-profile, prophetically gifted man, to start reading his Bible. Two years ago, he began a plan and read the Bible through for the first time in his life. He couldn't thank me enough. He was amazingly amazed over how much it meant to him. Why had he not done this sooner? I'm nearly done. Here's the thing. This is really important. This is really important for us going forward. Here's the thing. Read the Bible, Logos, Holy Scripture, and you'll be thrilled to discover how often God gives you a rhema word. A rhema word basically means the unfolding of God's secret will when he speaks directly to you. God does this. And we've spoken of these things in this church. I've spoken of it over the last couple of weeks where God has radically intercepted my life with prophetic words from people. But I can predict, chase after a rhema word all the time and you'll probably receive nothing from God. Chase after Holy Scripture and he'll give you a rhema word whenever you need it. Um, I've said little in this blog about personal prayer time. I, I, I stress we need time with God. I recommend 30 minutes a day for every layman, 60 minutes a day minimum for every church leader. The average church leader in Britain and the USA spends four minutes a day in quiet time and you wonder why the church is so powerless. Uh, and people have often ask me, being a Christian leader, what my routine is. Well, when I get to my desk, I use this Bible here, which has got notes in the margin, which I, which I just personally find really useful because I'm a scribbler. So I like reading it and jotting my thoughts down, which I then can't read. But it's the, it's the thought that counts, isn't it? But that's a routine for me. And I've got loads of little devices, like I, I, all around my office. And at home, I try and use, I've got Bibles in different piles because I've got the youth group around and stuff. And I've got it on my phone. And so it's just a visual reminder to me that it's there. But I read it on my phone quite a lot. So that's, I find that quite a useful thing. And I have, I've, I determined to do this machine Bible reading plan because it takes you through the New Testament twice in the year and the Old Testament. I think the Psalms are twice as well. So I just started it at the start of the new year. And I'm up to sort of day uh, 19-ish now, aren't we? 17. So, I mean, that's, that's, that's just a routine that makes you read four chapters a day. So I'm determined just to get myself through that. And I've got other little things. I've got this little book called Spurgeon. It's Spurgeon's a checkbook of the bank of faith, which every day is just a little reading with some Bible verses. And I have to tell you this, that sometimes I find it really dry and sometimes really difficult. Uh, and and, and I, it's not something I publicize loads, but I, w- I want to get back to where I was. And then beyond it, if you could sum up what I want to do this year in one word, it would be grow, not outwardly, in the Lord. Because I I want us to have the attention of heaven. And and I think as leaders, it has to start with us in a really big way. I think it's so important. I was looking at Moses. He's another character. Acts 7.30, check it out later. It says that Moses was in Midian for 40 years before the Lord appeared to him in a burning bush. That's 40 years of being humbled. So if you say, well, I've done all this, I've read the Bible through, I've had my prayer time, and I've not experienced the Lord moving. Well, it ain't been 40 years, I reckon. So keep, just hang in there. I mean, like Daniel praying and fasting for all that time before the Lord spoke to him. I, I don't want you to feel, I mean, sometimes when I preach, I feel like I'm more of a stand-up comedian. 
But I felt I just, I, this is such a critical word for us as a church today. If we are serious about seeing the Lord move in power, then I think we need to get serious about the word. Then we need to get serious about prayer. I think we've got to get serious about the things that are close to God's heart, like the poor. I, I want us to have a shed load of cash coming in in this church so we can bless the poor. Because it's so close to God's heart and it's right. So we're setting aside 10% of everything that comes in. There's about four or five grand in the account at the moment. I'd rather we were giving away 50, 60 grand. I can do some damage with that. Or more. Wouldn't it be great if we were tithing a quarter of everything that came in and still able to achieve everything the Lord had for us? So we've got to get close to the things that are close to God's heart. Get into his word. Get serious about prayer. And get serious about encounter. Seeking the Lord through the power of the Holy Spirit. Just seeking his power so that we can be effective witnesses. And, and putting it all out there, and we've said it before, yes, as a church, we believe in prophecy. Yes, we believe that you can be intercepted by a word from heaven through someone else, some picture or something that just, just intercepts you. Like, we, like this week at, the, at work, we were just stressing a bit. We were getting a bit flappy over money. We've got like a 200 grand deficit we've got to cover off in a few weeks. We'll be fine. So we're getting a bit flappy about it. And then this young girl in the academy came up to us. We were walking out of a meeting. And one of the young girls in the academy went up to Andy, who I work with. And he was a bit busy and it was all getting a bit flappy. And he didn't want really to speak to someone in the academy. But anyway, you're gracious, aren't you, as a leader? And gave him the time. And they said, oh, it's just, just a thing, Andy. We were just having this prayer time all together. And we felt the Lord say, uh, don't worry about money. It's going to be all right. You can have loads of money coming in. Don't worry. Isn't that amazing? Like we're just getting all flappy and stressed in a meeting about money. And the Lord sends a little kid over to say, don't worry about money. It's a bit weird. That's a beautiful thing too, isn't it? And we're believing for that. And yes, we believe in healing. And we've seen that. And yes, we believe in the gift of tongues. And we'd like to see that start to happen. And we've done sermons that have explained what that is. You can look back and listen to it. And we're believing for all of these things because we want to see people come to the Lord and we want to see people empowered to live out their lives uh, beautifully for Jesus Christ. But we have to win the battles in the small places and sweat the small stuff. We just seek him in the word. And make the time. You know, I'm cycling from Port Elizabeth to Cape Town. And I would argue that I'm quite a busy person. I think I can make that case. I'm quite a busy person. Now, how is it I can make time to do that training? When I want to, I will go home today and I will sit on my bicycle indoors for probably an hour and a half watching Rocky movies, if I'm honest. How is it I can make the time for that when I already work a 70 to 80 hour week without church stuff, but I can make time to cycle from Port Elizabeth to Cape Town, but I don't make time for the Word of God or my prayer life? Well, I am, but how is it we don't? You can make time for the things that are important. Do whatever it takes to make that time. I think the Lord has brought to this church a beautiful collection of people. 
everyone who visits here says what a kind, loving, Jesus-centered, beautiful bunch of people. We get that feedback all the time. But what we, what we also want to hear is, and you just feel the presence of the Lord. It's so beautiful there. Just feel the presence of the Lord. It's just a, a beautiful holiness hovering over the place and a joy. People get healed. The poor are getting blessed. Kids are getting saved and the toughest people are being reached. And if just we start getting that feedback, it would be absolutely incredible. So I think the Lord is bringing to this church a nucleus of people who are going to get serious about this. I, I seriously think, and it might not be the most eloquent thing I've ever said to you, I think this is the most important thing I've said in all the preaches I've given since the church started, if we were to go into the next season. And, and it's interesting too how I've been feeling ill this week and nearly didn't feel like wanting to preach as well, if I'm honest. I was getting a bit wheezy and sorry for myself. I was a bit tired. But I, I, I felt that just maybe sticking my neck out a bit, that the Lord would want to reveal to you his presence just in a gentle way today as well. Just show you that he's here. Just in a stillness in your hearts. Just just start to speak to you and touch you and bless you and show that this is this is this is for real. It's not just words.